Welcome to Signs of the Times, a look at recent world events from around our kitchen table. As mentioned on last week's Signs of the Times podcast, uh, this week we're going to be interviewing Lorna Yachik. Laura has just written uh, a book called 9-11, The Ultimate Truth, and we're going to be delving into some of the more interesting uh, details that she discusses and um, explores in that book. One of the important aspects of the book is that there, there have been a lot of books written about 9-11 since uh, that fateful day four years ago. Most of them just try to stick to the facts and, and show what the holes are in the official theory. Laura's book goes a step further and tries to speculate a bit based on the evidence in hand about what actually did happen that day. And this is one of the things that we'd like to get into in our discussion with her. So in light of all this, with all the 9-11 books that are out there and the, the strange occurrences and, and all that, what was it exactly that that drove you to write a book about 9-11? What drove me to write a book about 9-11? Well, you could say that I think that my 9-11 book is uh, the equivalent of the solution, you know, the correct solution to Agatha Christie's murder on the Orient Express. As many of you know, I am a great fan of of uh, Agatha Christie and also Conan Doyle. I particularly like Hercule Poirot and and Sherlock Holmes and, of course, Miss Marple. And in, when I get any time to read anything for entertainment, that's generally what I read. And I always, uh, as Hercule Poirot says, try to exercise my gray cells to take the evidence that's available and try to see uh, the event that is behind the little bits and pieces that are left dangling out there for view. Um, it's also uh, the Sherlock Holmes method, which is, you know, once you have eliminated the impossible, what's left is is what happened. Um, those of you who are familiar with the story, The Murder on the Orient Express, uh, will recall that the solution was everybody did it. And in a certain sense, I think that's the solution to 9-11. There were uh, so many participants, and each one of these participants was involved for their own reason or for their own objectives. And in a certain sense, there is a little twist to it because I think that each one induced the involvement or counted upon the involvement of the others as their own insurance against being exposed. So my book is is more than just a collection of the of the data, the hard facts. It is taking that data and trying to see the picture within the picture, uh, the scene behind the smoke and mirrors that has been erected to conceal the actions of the participants in this particular crime of the century, I would say, and maybe even the crime of the last several centuries. Uh, Laura, could you give us an example of some of the things you're talking about? Uh, one thing struck me as particularly interesting, which was the interview that uh, Ted Olson had with uh, Larry King. And in that interview, Ted Olson actually gives away exactly what happened on that day. And he reveals to us uh, what kinds of negotiations were going on behind the scenes during that 
extremely strange period of time when George Bush was uh, flying around, nowhere to be found, uh, while Dick Cheney was being hustled into the, the basement of the White House and and everybody wondered, you know, where their fearless leader was and why he wasn't taking charge, you know, after they had been wondering, you know, why their fearless leader was sitting in a classroom, you know, reading a book about goats when, you know, if there was really an awake national security agency, he would have been immediately hustled out of there. But Ted Olson talked about the fact that the government of the United States, the officials of the United States were threatened at that time. And those aren't the exact words, but I've got it exactly quoted in the book. And the fact is that it struck me that that he was telling the exact truth in that moment because Ted Olson as as a as a uh, uh, as a, a legal person knows that if you're going to lie, the best thing to do is to stick as close to the truth as you possibly can with just a slight twist. Um, and that was exactly what he was doing when he was telling this story about this uh, supposed phone call from his wife Barbara from the um, ill-fated Flight 77. He was telling the truth. He just wasn't telling all the truth. But you'll have to read the book to find out exactly, uh, you know, what Ted Olson was revealing to us in that interview with um, Larry King. And it, uh, I can, I can assure you, it will be quite astonishing once you, once you see exactly what it was he said and how it related to the events of that day. So, in your opinion, what was the motivation then for for the entire nine eleven? Given that, given that it's uh, or taking that it's an, a, consp- a conspiracy and that the, the government was involved, what is the reason for it? Well, many years ago. I read an interesting book called When Your Money Fails. I don't remember the name of the author, but it was a woman. She was actually a fundamentalist Christian. I believe she lived in Georgia. Um, In fact, I may go and look it up at some point later on to see if I can get another copy of it because it's long since disappeared from my library. But this woman wrote a rather fascinating book about... uh, you know, the conspiratorial plans of the Illuminati, the New World Order, you know, the the various uh, things that, you know, that we're seeing happen today. And this book was written, oh, in the early 80s or late 70s. And the fact is, is that today we see almost everything that this woman talked about transpiring on the world stage, um, with the exception that she, of course, was certain that the UN was going to be the uh, the beast or the uh, arbiter of the new world order or the the head of the the planet, and naturally, Americans were going to be subdued and subsumed by some foreign powers. Never did it occur to her or to many other fundamentalists who talked about similar things that their own country. Uh, might manifest in this role and become the seeker of global hegemony and uh, to impose their will upon all the rest of the world. But nevertheless, having read this book and having seen uh, that she very carefully mapped the intentions of this group, it it strikes me as 
is very interesting that there are so many people who say th- negative or pejorative things about, you know, quote, conspiracy theory, unquote, because the conspiracy theories of the 70s and 80s are facts on the ground now. Uh, so I don't see what uh, what ground or what basis uh, critics have to cast aspersions on so-called conspiracy theories. But in a larger sense, I would like to say that I think that the kinds of people who are behind this type of conspiracy are people of a particular mindset. Um, I don't want to give away all of the ideas that I have revealed in the book, obviously because I want people to read the book, because it's important to read the book and to read the book step by step. Uh, There is another aspect to the problems that we face, and that is what has become known in recent times is exopolitics. Isn't that a nice word? Exopolitics. Uh, Exopolitics refers to hyperdimensional manipulation of political figures for the purposes of hyperdimensional beings, one would suspect, which, of course, the uh, the powers that be in this world insist do not exist, and if anybody says otherwise, they f- find that they have run afoul of the powers that be. Uh, for example, uh, just recently, uh, oh, two weeks ago, I received an email from uh, Coast to Coast inviting me to appear on their show. And I was a little bit hesitant because, of course, uh, I am aware that many serious researchers consider Coast to Coast to be one of the major sources of disinformation in America today. And um, so I was hesitant to appear on that show. And then, of course, the next thing that I thought about was, well, maybe they're not so bad because they're inviting us to be on their show, and we know that we're honest and sincere and haven't been co-opted. So, you know, obviously, since we know that, and they're inviting us to be on their show, you know, that gives us a chance to talk to many people or get our message across to many people. So maybe Coast to Coast isn't so bad. And so uh, I received a call from a, uh, a young lady at Coast to Coast, and she put me through basically about a, oh, a, what, a 20, 30-minute trial interview on the telephone to determine if what I had to say was interesting enough for Coast to Coast. Well, I didn't break anything to her gently, and I'm sure that she was gasping for breath by the time I finished answering her questions, and she she says, oh, my, this is uh, this is a lot to think about. You know, could I have a copy of your book? So I said, sure, and I took the address, and I... I had a copy of the book sent to her, uh, the book Secret History, not 9-11. And uh, about, oh, four or five days later, I received another email saying, yes, we'd like to have you on the show. And actually, I was supposed to be on the Coast to Coast show this coming weekend. And uh, so everything was set up. The time was established, and as far as we were concerned, it was a go. And I, like I said, I was beginning to think, well, maybe Coast to Coast wasn't so bad. And then a couple of days went by, and suddenly I received an email saying, you know, sorry, something came up. I'll be back in touch with you, you know, basically canceling the whole thing with no explanation. So 
The only thing I can conjecture is is that once they had put me on the schedule and it had become known to uh, whoever oversees this sort of thing uh, that the word came down, no, you may not have that woman on, on Coast to Coast, or B, they actually began to read the book and discovered uh, exactly what it was talking about and realized that you know they didn't want to help promote a book that actually ex- exposed uh, the reality that we live in for what it is. So that was that for Coast to Coast. At this point, uh, we do not expect to be invited again, or at all. And uh, that being what it is, and we just continue to promote our message on our website and our books with as much careful research as we can assemble and hope that within the next couple of years, as many people as possible will become aware of these factors so that when the time comes that the cycle ends, that there will be enough observational power among human beings that the uh, collapsing of the macrocosmic quantum wave will bring us to that uh, position in a new reality that is desirable and not one that is full of horror and remorse. The book, 9-11, The Ultimate Truth, is divided into two parts. The first part deals with the specific events of the day of 9-11, the events leading to it, what actually happened. The second part of the book uh, takes a perspective on it that no other author has, and that's a historical perspective, one dealing with issues of genetics, of who different peoples are today, how uh, names change and and the names of of certain peoples then get applied to other peoples. And, And so when you're looking at the world, it's a real mishmash and and names kind of mean nothing, and you have to get behind the names to see what what the reality is behind them. And all of this brings us back to the topic that you discussed earlier on, and dealing with hyperdimensional uh, realities and hyperdimensional psychopathy, if we can call it that. Okay, so let's talk about this hyperdimensional psychopathy, uh, as as you're referring to it, because you know this is the thing I mentioned as as the uh, framework in which such conspiracies are born and live and and are perpetrated on human beings. There is uh, a lot of research to suggest that uh, that human beings as they exist now are not necessarily what we may think they are, that they may be somewhat experimental creations. Uh, In this sense, I think that the fundamentalists are are not entirely wrong when they want to promote the idea of uh, intelligent design. Uh, because certainly you couldn't strictly Darwinian processes are not indicated in the uh, paleontological record. For example, the sudden appearance of Cro-Magnon man 35 to 40 thousand years ago is completely inexplicable in terms of Darwinian processes. Uh, the complete disappearance of Neanderthal man is also inexplicable in terms of Darwinian processes. Uh, it there. There is a real possibility that we are on the verge of another uh, appearance of a uh, of a Cro-Magnon type man, and the disappearance of Neanderthal. Only we are the Neanderthals this time, and the psychopathic types are the are the new type of human being, and they seek to create uh, a breeding ground for their own type of being and to 
uh, to eliminate all other human beings except for a small number of them that they can enslave and use for for creation purposes because, of course, they, they do recognize that they lack creativity and that they need slaves and servants to, to perform for them, to create for them. So... Uh, in those terms, you know, the broader perspective is, is absolutely essential because nothing else makes sense. When you think of so-called conspiracy theories and you begin to track these conspiracy theories and you see them going back uh, literally millennia, uh, you can't imagine that any group of individuals, small group of individuals, can be involved in such a such a conspiracy to keep silence, first of all, second of all, to have the continuity that goes for so, for so many thousands of years. And yet, when you track the evidence, that is what the evidence seems to indicate, conspiracies that extend back thousands of years with continuity uh, and essentially no personal individual reward except maybe on a small scale. Now, human beings don't operate that way as a normal event in our lives. People generally do what they do for reasons. So when you posit that there is a conspiracy that goes for thousands of years, what you're suggesting is is that there are people who participate in this conspiracy who never see the results of their work, who never get their so-called reward. They don't get their payoff. But if you think in terms of hyperdimensional realities where the Conspiracy is guided and directed in a very, uh, very subtle and clever way, so that perhaps even the, you know, conspirators are unaware that they are being maneuvered and manipulated to do what they do. Then the whole thing begins to make a little bit more sense. And of course, this come, brings us back to the term exopolitics, politics that extend off the planet, so to speak, uh, political events that take place for purposes of. You know, unknown to humankind, and this, of course, you know, takes us to the ideas of uh, UFOs, extraterrestrials, aliens, and so forth. And, and of course, I do not mean, I do not refer to them or think of them as extraterrestrials necessarily, in the sense that they come from some other planet uh, in 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 our three dimensional reality. Um, if you read a good overview of the history of so-called alien contact with human beings or alien appearances or UFOs, uh, you come to the understanding that this has been going on for a very, very long time. And and uh, when you read the, the history of the military interaction with said uh, entities, uh, objects, or whatever you realize that very early on that the military and the CIA clamped down on on the awareness of this uh, this other reality and sought to actively debunk it, to actively make it a, a point of, of ridicule. And I would suggest a, a really good book that I've recently read myself, which is Jim Marr's uh, The Alien Agenda, which is an extremely good and fairly comprehensive overview of the entire phenomenon, beginning with the um, the military interactions. So once you see the pattern, you come to the realization that all of this so-called hush-hush alien activity that has been ridiculed and debunked has a very important part to play in the events of our current day. 
and that there is most definitely an agenda. Uh, there is most definitely a plan. It is being executed by uh, what we would consider to be human beings on the planet today. But I don't think that all of them necessarily know exactly what they're doing or why, because their natures, as I mentioned, are such that they seek power. Uh, they seek you know, money, goods, control over other individuals. And this is very cleverly utilized by this uh, exopolitical force to achieve their own agenda. Uh, an easy way to think about it is, is that you know, we just simply aren't at the top of the food chain. Yeah, indeed. We're talking with Laura Knight-Yadchik about her new book, 9-11, The Ultimate Truth, and we'll be back in a moment. A warm welcome to listeners all around the world on the World Wide Web. You're listening to Signs of the Times. Signs of the Times. Returning to our discussion with Laura Nightyachik about her new book, 9-11, The Ultimate Truth, and uh, reading the book, what makes it so compelling is the way the book builds, and you begin to see that 9-11 is not simply about uh, Israel and Palestine or about Iraq or about any of these kind of daily uh, global issues, political issues, that it really is, as you say, it's the culmination of thousands of years of chess playing to put all of the pieces into place, and now we're in the end game. And 9-11 really comes across in the book as being the beginning of the end game. Yes, it's uh, definitely a, a move in the hyperdimensional overlords, you know, made this maneuver and then said check. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not made yet, but it's check. And we've got a lot to do and a long way to go to get out of this very sticky position in which we find ourselves. And that's our stated mission on our websites to awaken as many people as possible to the reality of this situation. I mean, scientifically, historically, and in every reasonable way we can. Yes, indeed. We have used inspirational methods for some of our material, but we have never allowed those inspirational methods to take precedence over good, hard, solid research. And that's why our books are different. We are given some inspiration that gives us a clue, gives us an idea of the pattern, and then we go out and we do the work. Um, our books are footnoted. They are... Reference. They have extensive bibliographies, 
and anybody can check the source material themselves and discover that you know we are using it in the proper context and we are putting the pieces together in a way that has never been put together before. I would like to talk a little bit about uh, an interesting book that I received in the mail uh, probably a couple of weeks ago uh, called Political Ponerology, A Science on the Nature of Evil Adjusted for Political Purposes. This is by a professor of psychology, and Andrew Lobachevsky. Uh, he's a Polish professor. He's 84 years old now, and he wrote me an email after reading some of my work on psychopathy and said that he and a group of other researchers behind the Iron Curtain had been doing secret research uh, for many years from the, time of, um, from the time of Stalin and Lenin and so on, and that this work had been uh, almost destroyed on a couple of occasions because uh, they were act- acting against the communist regime in putting it together. And he uh, he proposes in an interesting way that uh, there are individuals on the planet who are essentially um, different and different from birth, that, they're, they're, that they are genetically different. And he refers to them as psychopaths. And he suggests that the reason that they group together and rise to power is because of their specific natures. And the reason they seek to impose power on others is because they are frightened of people who are creative. And they are frightened of uh, of a world over which they have no control. And since they have essentially no conscience, they are able to do exactly what they want to do, what they choose to do, uh, without remorse, without pity, and thereby achieve positions of political power. Well, I would like to read a little bit from Professor Lobachevsky's book. Professor Lobachevsky uh, writes and tells us, first of all, that the first copy of the manuscript uh, went into the fire something like five minutes before the arrival of the secret police. The second copy of this material was sent via a courier to the Vatican where it disappeared and has never been seen or heard from since, and we have the third copy. And what he says in here, ponerology, by the way, is his technical term for uh, evil, the science of evil, or the study of evil. And he makes no bones about the fact that, that evil is a very real force in our reality. And what he tells us about essential psychopathy is that it's a heredity-transmitted anomaly whose role in ponerogenic processes on any social scale appears exceptionally great. And then he writes, We should also underscore that the need to isolate this phenomenon and examine it in detail became most evident to those researchers who were interested in the macrosocial scale of the genesis of evil because they witnessed it. Biologically speaking, the phenomenon is similar to colorblindness and occurs with a similar frequency except that, unlike colorblindness, it affects both sexes. Its intensity also varies in scope from a level barely perceptive to an experienced observer to obvious pathological deficiencies. Like colorblindness, this anomaly also appears to represent a deficit in stimulus transformation. Psychiatrists of the old school used to call such individual 
Daltonist of human feelings and social moral values. The psychological picture of such individuals shows clear deficits among men only, among women, and it is generally toned down. This suggests that the anomaly is inherited via the X chromosome, but through a semi-dominating gene. Um, what he says further is that uh, our natural world of concepts, that is, our concepts of morals, of what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's not good, our world of, of, of empathy, of feeling the pain of others, of humanistic values, appears to these individuals as nearly incomprehensible, that moral values are simply conventions with no justification. They think that our customs and principles of decency are a foreign convention invented and imposed by someone else. They think that our ideas of empathy, of caring for others, are silly, onerous, and even ridiculous. At the same time, they easily perceive the deficiencies and weaknesses of our natural language of psychological and moral concepts. Uh, he tells us that the average intelligence of such individuals, if measured via commonly used tests, is somewhat lower than that of normal people. However, this group does not contain instances of the highest intelligence, nor do we find technical or craftsmanship talents among them. This is one of their deficiencies. They don't have technical skill and they don't have craftsmanship skill. That's why they need human beings who have emotions, who have empathy, and who have creativity. It says, the most gifted members of this kind may achieve accomplishments in those sciences which do not require a humanistic worldview or practical skills. And then he writes that whenever we have attempted to construct special tests to measure the life wisdom or the social moral imagination, even if the difficulties of psychometric evaluation are taken into account, individuals of this type indicate a deficit disproportionate to their personal IQ. Then he tells us that in spite of their deficiencies as regards normal psychological and moral knowledge, they develop and have at their disposal a knowledge of their own. And this knowledge is something that is lacked by people with natural worldview. They learn to recognize each other in a crowd in early childhood, and they develop an awareness of the existence of other individuals similar to themselves. And they become very conscious of being different from the world of these other people surrounding them. They view us from a certain distance, like a para-specific variety. Natural human reactions, which often fail to elicit interest because they are considered self-evident, strike them as strange and therefore interesting and even comical. They observe us, derive conclusions, and form their own different world of concepts. They become experts on our weaknesses and sometimes effect heartless experiments upon normal human beings just for their own pleasure. The suffering and injustice they cause inspire no guilt within them since they are the result of their being different and apply only to those other people they perceive to be not quite conspecific. Neither a normal person nor our natural worldview can perceive or properly evaluate the existence of this world of different concepts of the psychopath. So, basically, we are facing beings that uh, that are different. They're completely different. They are 
virtually unfamiliar with the emotions of love for another person. Uh, for them, the idea of love is a fairy tale from that other human world. For them, it's an ephemeral phenomenon that is aimed specifically at sexual adventure. The negative thing about that is, as many such Don Juans are able to play the lover's role well enough. And the wedding, after the wedding, the feelings which never really existed are replaced by egoism, egotism, and hedonism. So one would expect them to feel guilty as a consequence of their antisocial acts, but their lack of guilt is a result of their deficits. The world of normal people whom they hurt is incomprehensible and hostile to them, and life is the pursuit of its immediate attractions, moments of pleasure, and temporary feelings of power. So we are definitely faced with a serious problem because when you consider beings who have that kind of an internal makeup, you are facing beings who can completely mimic our thoughts and feelings, but in word only. They they can use the words, but they don't know the meaning of those words. They can't evidence that uh, behavior over a long period of time. And that is the problem we face. And in the face of this other race, uh, of this group that uh, is willing to do anything and everything to, to get power to themselves, who have no empathy for others, uh, what can we do? What can we do? Well... Professor Lobachevsky has has the idea that uh, that we should study evil. We should learn about it. We should uh, um, examine it carefully and discover prophylactic measures that we can take against these types of, of individuals who have risen to power time and time again in the history of humanity. Uh, people such as Julius Caesar, Napoleon Bonaparte. Uh, Justinian, um, uh, many of the kings uh, who ruled over the various countries of, of old Europe uh, were clearly psychopathic. Henry VIII is a good example. And then there are more recent examples, Stalin, Lenin, Adolf Hitler, uh, Ceausescu, Mussolini, George Bush. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's been... A continuing repeating syndrome for human beings that these kinds of beings they come to power they come to power because they are dazzling they are they are charismatic or they are born into that power and and they uh, take advantage of it and then as people slowly begin to realize that they've been duped then they withdraw their support and in mass turn against them and then they are brought down but until that happens uh, they they hold sway and they create a trail of death and destruction behind them that is truly horrifying. And it happens again and again and again and again. And until the rest of us really begin to consider this as, as a factor in our reality that needs to be studied, that needs to be examined, that needs to be taken apart and and discovered all the ways and means that they function, that they operate, and create some prophylactic attitudes and, and ways and means of dealing with them, you know, we're screwed. That's it. Well, this is an issue that you've been writing about for quite a while on the website. Uh, psychopathy, organic portals, the, these are issues that, that really your work and the website has really brought to the fore. And what we've seen is how 
how badly people react against this. Why are, why are you being so negative all the time? Well, and we see with with the disinformation that's going on uh, in the New Age movement, in in religions, and it's focusing on love. And if you just ignore the evil, somehow it's going to go away. Well, certainly, all of those ideas are created by psychopaths just to keep people from looking at them and dealing with them. It's, it's quite it's so obvious. <laughs> it, yes, it's, it's it's when you see what what the real foundation of our reality is. And this is why understanding both hyperdimensional realities and the aspect of psychopaths is so important, because without it, you're just a sitting duck. Exactly. And, uh, you know, for those people who think that they're going to ascend to the fifth dimension or, you know, that they're going to transition if they, you know, contemplate their navel for for a sufficient period of time and and get the exact right tone of the ohm that they are humming, you know, I've got news for you. It, it just isn't going to happen. That is another part of the dazzling of, of the smoke and mirrors show that has been thrust upon humanity and that we have to get out from under. We have to see these manipulations for what they are because the responsibility for doing things, for being things, if you like to think of it this way, God manifests through us by what we do. Period. End of story. And these ideas, when when you try to discuss this stuff with, with people who don't know these ideas, who are coming across them for the first time, who even uh, the idea that, that the American government uh, or other governments could be behind 9-11, where, where already that is, is a hard thing for them to grasp, to then go on and try to make people understand that there's more to reality and and that we're living in a very, very dangerous jungle here. And as you said earlier, we're not the top of the food chain. It is really difficult to open up people's minds so that they can begin to consider and begin looking at the data. Because as your books have shown, beginning with, with the secret history of the world, which goes back and, and gives an overview of, of human history going back thousands of years, and then in the, the second part of 9-11, where you bring all the pieces together and you show how we're really, as we said earlier, at the end game, they've said check. When you look and you go back these thousands of years, it's so clear. But what do you do to get people there? What do you – to somebody who, who, who is new to all of this, what, what, where should they start? What can they do? Yeah, well, they did a good job, didn't they? Uh, our entire culture has been so steeped in the smoke and mirrors show that has been created to conceal the presence of these beings on our planet. And I'm not talking about aliens. I am talking about human-appearing beings that are genetically different from the rest of humanity. Um, how, do, how, do you, how do you bring somebody to know or understand? Um, that's a really tough question because... You know, certainly it wasn't easy for me at all. Uh, my, my exposure to conspiracy theory was back in the 80s uh, when a, when a, the father of a friend of ours died and left me a box of books in which I found a copy of Gary Allen's None Dare Call It Conspiracy. I was so outraged by this book, which suggested that, that uh, the government of the United States was somewhat conspiratorial in nature and cer- certainly wasn't constituted for the benefit of the people, that I went on a quest to prove that this this man was wrong, that he was 
saying very bad things and leading people astray. And the more I studied the matter, the more I dug, the more I realized that he had only told, you know, one-tenth of, of one one-hundredth of a percent of what was really going on. And that was very shocking, and I was depressed for a long time, and I'm a strong person. So how does a weak person deal with it? How does a person who uh, who hasn't done the work that I've done uh, deal with it? Uh, the only thing I can say is that uh, most of them are going to be food, and the ones who aren't going to be food are, you know, they're either going to realize what's what's going on and they're going to get strong from realizing it or or they're not and 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 the only thing that's going to bring them to that realization is the suffering that the psychopath brings on them that's that's the way it goes the psychopath comes to power they create pain suffering and a, and a long trail of death and misery and then people wake up and that's the way it is over and over again and it's not going to be any different now and when the people wake up then there's another charismatic psychopath to lead them against the one in power, sure, and the cycle just continues. Sure. So until people until people really wake up and begin to study the nature of evil and 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 to really to really understand it and understand that even uh, you know how clever and how subtle it can be, you know there there is no hope. This is going to continue going on and on around and around forever. So you know essentially, my books are not written for those people who who can't stomach it. They are written for people who are ready to wake up. I want to tell another little story, and and that is uh, uh, some months back, almost a year ago, in fact, we we received a visit from uh, some other 9-11 researchers, and uh, these particular individuals have connections to certain intel services, and one of the things that was told to us was that there were satellite photos taken on that day by another, uh, another government on the planet, and that this government was supposed to be blackmailing the United States. And after hearing this, you know, it gave me a lot of food for thought. And I realized somewhat later that this information had been given to us, certainly deliberately, because at first I was very astonished that someone would say these things to us that would reveal this, this supposedly deep, dark, secret information to us so casually. And it was only later that I realized that it was obviously revealed to us because it wasn't the truth and that it was intended that we should propagate this information as though it were the truth when, in fact, it wasn't. So it took me a while to to realize and understand that, and that was part of the thought processes that I was going through as I was examining the evidence to solve the mystery of 9-11. So, once again, you have to read the book to find out what actually did happen and just just be certain that the, the, the solution to the mystery is going to be exactly as exciting and interesting as anything Hercule Poirot ever came up with. Laura Knight Yadchik's new book, 9-11, The Ultimate Truth, is available from Red Pill Press. You can find it at qfgpublishing.com and hopefully in better bookstores everywhere. If your bookstore doesn't have it, ask them for it. When you're at the qfgpublishing.com website looking for information on 9-11, The Ultimate Truth, you could take the opportunity to download the free download of Harvey Kleckley's The Mask of Sanity, which is the classic work on psychopathy. And as you've heard tonight, this is an issue that everyone must come up to speed on. And as always, if you'd like to read more about the topics we've discussed today, 
You can visit our Weekend Signs page, which will be found at www.signs-of-the-times.org. So thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Music